way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, I'm joined by The Athletic uh, writer, Amy Lawrence, and the former Arsenal player and uh, regular on the podcast, Mr Lee Dixon. Uh, hello, guys. Hello. Morning. I hello, must prefer your previous introduction that we've had to cut. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was yes. just thinking about, you know, those when they have those scenes in films of like extras where everybody's just cracking up and they can't do the scene because someone's yeah. done it and said or done something. <laughs> something. Every time they do a new take, everyone's killing themselves. Yes. As yeah. you were doing that perfectly legitimate intro, I was sitting here giggling. Thinking yeah, well, me too. No cameras. <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry, listener, you're never going to hear what that is because it's wrong in every sense, that other intro. But anyway... I'm holding in my hand a copy of uh, the book Arsene Wenger, My Life in Red and White, my autobiography. And um, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Amy, you're, I, I should say by disclosure, Lee, have you read this, by the way? Have you read it? No. No. And I have, <laughs> no. You're in it, though. I would say that. I did look up your it's name. Bloody hope so. Yeah, yeah, you are. You are. Yeah, I mean, have you, I, I did look up. You, there might not be as many mentions as you'd have hoped. <laughs> Is that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you well, were hoping for, to be honest. You're no, in there, though. You're in there. I'm quite, I'm quite pleased lots of the reasons for him to talk about me are not in the book, so... <laughs> well, we'll get I'm into... Ju- I'm just looking at the uh, at the index as we speak, Lee. Um, you're in yeah. three separate pages, so there's it's that. It's which compa- <laughs> Which, just... just um, the, on either side of you, you've got discipline, uh, which yeah. is mentioned five times, so you're... Not quite up there with discipline. And Yuri Djorkaev, who gets two pages. So you're sandwiched oh, between that makes me feel, discipline that and make, Yuri Djorkaev. Yeah, that that's makes purely, me feel great. That is purely alphabetical, though, isn't it? <laughs> Can I just... I mean, this, it's not because Lee Dixon was disciplined. or the, Anyway, no. um, what we're going to talk about, although you were, obviously, as a player... Um, we are going to get into the meat of the book and we're going to talk about his career and also his legacy uh, as well. Um, Amy, you have read the book. I, I, know I have, this. yes. Um, I only got it yesterday afternoon. Um, so I've skimmed it, I'll be honest with you. I've had a look at a few bits. There was no Ian Stone in the index. I was very, very upset about that. But, um, <laughs> one of our best fans. But um, I was, There's no uh, ghostwriter, but I'm not bitter. <laughs> no. Um, was there anything, Amy, I'll start with you, our little question that we like to do at the start. Was there anything in the book that you'd love to have seen, that you'd love to have heard about, that, that he didn't put in? Because he was quite careful, I believe, uh, in some of the things he said. I have to think carefully about how to answer this. Um, there's loads more I'd like to know. There's definitely room for a sequel. Uh in fact, I think overall, oh great, I've used the Wengerism straight away. I believe that this book is great. However, what's really interesting from a perspective of Arsenal is that possibly the Arsenal uh, sections are n- not the best bits of the book, um, which considering it was 22 years of his life's work and his undying passion, and it's very, very clear when you read the book how deep in love with his job and that club and how much it hurt uh, at times, how much he suffered and how much it, it probably still hurts him to this day. I think he said at, at one point that he and David Dean, who are, are still very good friends, um, David Dean obviously brought him to the club, that they, um, these men of football who gave so much in 
their period together, building up the club to a very special period, still every day, more or less, talk about Arsenal without being able to act on it. And it's a very, very strange sensation, I think, to have that huge connection, which is intact, but feel quite powerless with it. And um, Arsene made it clear that he's like, the only way he felt in a sense that he could deal with it is like ripping off the plaster and not, you, you know, not having any contact. Um, whereas, say, David Dean still goes to matches and, and is still sort of around. Arsene, it's a bit too raw for him. But you can feel how much it all meant to him. Having said that, the, the stuff I really, really enjoyed most in a way was about his childhood and about the things that formed him and formed his management and uh, growing up in this little village and how he, <clears throat> how he developed to become this incredibly single-minded and successful uh, master of his trade on a global stage. And the things that he experienced along the way, be it in France or in Japan, when he first arrived in England, in many ways, the human stuff is in many ways more interesting than the, than the football stuff because it's not, the football stuff is, is less detailed. It's not a sort of warts and all, you know, here's all, the, all the, those stories. He used to say to us in press conferences, get asked a difficult, difficult question and he'd say, oh, you'll have to wait for my book for that. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, he hasn't written that kind of book. It's not a tell-all type at all. It's more of a kind of um, a, a, a sense of what it takes to go from nothing, uh, a little, you know, working village where people worked the land and went to the pub where he grew up and played for the local team and had a very simple life. Um, there wasn't a great deal for him to sort of learn about life within the confines of his village and not many people left and he did and he became this man of the world and that's what I think is really fascinating. I mean, it was it was interesting. I wasn't expecting... when I, I mean, I read the first... Um, a chapter and I wasn't expecting um, horses and blacksmiths and farms and all the rest of it but I guess that was where he grew up and it was a very very different world um, Lee is there anything you would like to ask Arson um, that I mean it's possibly they are answered in the books but are there any questions that you had through your career or even afterwards when you thought you know what I'd love to know what he thought about that well I think probably the most selfish first question I'd ask is why he didn't give me another year I was because <laughs> when we kind of me and Tony decided to uh, to retire in 2002 and I, and I I just you know if it had come up with a little plan of saying well why don't you just stay in the dressing room and be around the place I, I, I certainly think there's a position for something like that with some of the ex-players some of the ex-talent some of the knowledge that you've got at club is almost um you know the doors open at the, on the last day and you walk out and um I, I don't know I, I think maybe perhaps I would have liked to been asked to stay in some capacity now that's probably you know my ego going well you know I've done this I've done that maybe I should feel wanted but um Arsene wasn't like that with you know he certainly wasn't like that with Tony he wasn't you know he wasn't in necessarily that encouraging when it came to life after football um now i don't know why that is and i don't know why i felt the need to be wanted by him maybe because i respected him so much and um you know i, I kind of at the end of it maybe i should have took the lead and said no i you know i i want to i want to stay in the role in the club what what is there on offer i never said that i just kind of needed a break and left 
um, and never went back. So um, there's a there's a regret from my point of view a little bit. To be to be honest, with you, I'm still involved a little bit commercially with the club and. I'm still welcome back there, but I, I do feel as if there's part of me still there that I, I've got unfinished business, and I don't know what that business is. Um, but I, you know, that would be something I would sit down and chat with him at some point if we ever had a coffee in that respect. But he's from from the book's point of view. I mean, you know, I haven't read it. I will read it. Although, you know, with Amy saying what she said, I'd be interested in the. <laughs> In the all the stuff going on with his childhood and how he grew up, that would really interest me because I don't know that story. Yes, but the rest of it, um, you know, if if he's skirting around issues and it's not a warts, you know, he doesn't have to be a warts and all. But I think you know, I know all the stuff and nonsense. It's the bits in between that, and I know I know of that. I want to hear his version of of uh, of events that went on at the club that he left. Um, so the club that he loved so much and yet there was you know he was tainted when he left there's no doubt about that i want to know the ins and outs of that it's interesting hearing you sound quite sentimental lee if i may say um and, mm. and one thing that does come out of the book is is um it is quite pragmatic which is a lot of what football is about isn't it let's be fair yeah i, I think so and i i just think that the the the, the one th- thing that lingers with me is the sadness that and where when he left um there was a relief i think from his point of view at the end um and I ours he, yeah <laughs> and i think he realized he'd, he'd stayed too long yeah but ultimately when he talks about the club now you know he loves the club he's but he's got no you know a man like that like sir alex ferguson and has got connections with the united still he, sh- he surely still should have something to do with the club based on what he did there This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Then we played a little bit with a handbrake. I asked my son, Alexander, who is a, a regular Arsenal fan and has been since he was about four or five, uh, what he would ask Arsene Wenger. Uh, and, um, but his actual words were, why didn't you buy a f- goalkeeper? <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, he's only four, but he's very advanced. Um, <laughs> but I think it was a perfectly valid question for someone, uh, Amy, who's such a pragmatist as Arsene Wenger. There seem to be quite a lot of blind spots in, in some of his player recruitment and, and also how, how loyal he was to players. Yeah, I mean, those th- I think those two things are linked. And I-, I agree with you on the blind spots. And I think that was, I don't know why, and probably it's a flaw in myself to even say this, but... Sometimes I used to find that his uh, his flaws or his blind spots, although they drove me mad, um, I kind of, in a in a weird way, 
I, I quite like them as part of him. I mean, he's such an interesting character. He's such a, uh, an intriguing brain and human being to, to see. You know, you've seen so much of, of his immense intellectual capability. And for someone that brilliant to have these characteristics, which either manifest itself in, um, you know, not buying a goalkeeper but equally could manifest itself <laughs> in you know the famous story of having his spinoffy pie on his on his plate and just not noticing that it had fallen off and going <laughs> you know the sort of the, the contrast if you like between yeah. his absolute brainy brilliance and those moments where you think how can you be that clever mm. and have such a blind spot and that mm. always sort of interested me. And in a way, people's complexities make them more interesting. Just just, just a point of correction, it was cheesecake. Oh. Well, there you well go. actually, on, can I just can I do briefly diverge into um, Matters Canteen? And this really was one of the revelations of the book for me and one of my favourite lines where he turned around and said, I'm really not that keen on broccoli. <laughs> what? He force fed it to everyone else. Well, right. yeah. I never, I never saw, I never saw my mum eat broccoli, but she always used to throw it down our neck. So maybe she came from the same school as Arsene. Hey, whatever. It seemed to but work. I think he didn't was, it? he was, he was kind of surprised that it became this sort of symbol of like, oh, Arsene and the broccoli, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The alcohol and the chocolate bars, and he gave them broccoli, and he's like, "Well, I'm really not that keen on broccoli," and I'm like, "Jesus!" Right, right. He was very vocal about the broccoli. To be fair, I mean, I've heard him <laughs> speak about it on many occasions. So let's talk about when he arrived. Uh, Lee, you were there. You're an established player in the team. They'd won trophies. Um, this chap walks in the door. The professor, as uh, who, was that your nickname, by the way, uh, in the team, or was that generally the press who came up with that? No, it was. I mean, he did look like a school teacher, but I think the press, um, you know, labelled him the professor because he he looked like a professor. But you know, to me, he was like my geography teacher. That's that's the vision I had when I first saw him, and with his studious glasses and his you know leather arm pads on his elbows. Did he actually and have he, those, or is that your geography teacher? No, I just completely made that up but it's in my vision of him when i close my eyes that's how i see him all of a sudden he's got leather patches on his elbows yeah um, but that that's the kind of character he, he he seemed to me um very very quietly spoken and i i, I never forget the first time he stood us all around outside at london coney before we went to train <clears throat> sorry before we went to stretch before we went to stretch before we trained and then stretched again um, he said to me, he started talking to the players and I was like, well, he's got absolutely no chance. I'd already written him off because I was like, I couldn't even hear him. He was quietly spoken. He was saying, you know, in this very soft, considered voice with an amazing, soft, lovely accent. And I was like, oh, well, that ain't going to work, is it? Well, you know, we we literally just come from Bruce Rioch, who, you know, he was tried to speak quietly to the lads and then but his default his default position was you know trying to have a fight with John Artson in the corner of the changing room so and then before that obviously George um who had his moments with the with the, with his voice raising but I, I just that was the thing that stood out for me was that I, I don't believe that he's going to be able to manage a team of yeah experienced winners if you like to a certain extent How's he going to cope with the times when he's going to have to start throwing a few teacups around and we soon, you know, 
we soon learned that that wasn't his style and there was another way of doing it. And it was like, wow, didn't realise that you could actually talk your way through a half-time. You know, it was completely different. Lee, I mean, I've heard you talk uh, quite a lot on this podcast about when you sort of realised, you know, when you when you did all the pre-season training and you thought we're not going to be fit enough. And yeah. then, we, you know, suddenly the team were outstanding when they first got on the pitch and you went, hello. Um, so that was the point when you thought, OK, this might work. Amy, from a fan's point of view, um, I mean, you obviously you saw him arrive. How long did it take before you thought, oh, no, no, this this is re- he's the real deal? Well, I might be cute here and suggest that it was before when Patrick Vieira appeared on that famous debut against Sheffield Wednesday. And I think everyone was so stunned. And it was obvious that this player had come because of Arsene. He was kind of an you know, a, a advanced notice of, <laughs> of the ideas and principles, I think, that, that would come. Um, and everyone looked at each other and just went, what on earth is this? It's incredible. Um, so I think that was a real moment of excitement. Uh, but like Lee, like everybody, nobody knew much about what to expect. And I think there was a, a, a really interesting point when his first game, where he wasn't actually official Arsenal manager, but he was there, was at Borussia Mönchengladbach. In fact, the game was played in Cologne, uh, a, a UEFA Cup game. And uh, Arsenal lost that match. And I think he came down at half-time. He did. He I'm just looking. Change formation. Yes. And it didn't work. And I think he took Tony Adams off, actually. He uh, did. Which is a slightly controversial move. And, y- you know, it was... What I find most interesting, I, d- I don't know about when a specific moment happened. Perhaps if I was to think of a game that summed up a feeling of this is really a... a, a, a a zeitgeist moment of kind of you felt like something was changing right before your eyes and in a fascinating way was um, his first North London derby and it was in an absolute chucking down rain. Uh, uh, Jerry Francis had his you know, trademark mullet getting wet on the touchline. <laughs> T- Tottenham were a bit cheaty and got a goal that was a bit naughty because the ball had gone out of play for someone to get treatment and they didn't throw it back and went and attacked and scored a jammy equaliser. It was a it was an absolutely belting match and uh, uh, Bergkamp scored a, a wonderful goal, with a great knee slide celebration. Uh, Wrighty also scored and he did his put his shirt over his head with the "I love the lads" on his t-shirt. It was a very emotional day and, and Wenger was kind of shaking his fists while this was all going on in the, you know from the sidelines as he was getting drenched. And what it was to me at the time was a team that was. Uh, Right before your eyes, the evidence was there of this transformation of some of a blend of all the old values, all the old British values embodied by Lee and, and everybody uh, that he, he grew up with in that team. And kind of also having the sort of Vieira and Bergkamp and the continental flourish and the different sort of technical sophistication that was coming in with those types of players and with Arsene. And it was seeing that uh, fusing together in a great game, in a kind of classically British thunderous match. But I think I came away from that There's quite a lot of things in this book that he hasn't talked about. Um, I mean, we've, to a certain extent, 
as you said, Amy, we've been waiting for uh, for this book to come out. You know, there's so many times in the press conferences when uh, he said, oh, you'll have to read about it in the book. And now the book has come out. And as it said, it's not a warts and all. Lee, I, I mean, the fact that it's not a warts and all book, are you a little bit disappointed by that fact? I mean, I know no. you haven't read it, but no, would you have I... liked to have seen something a little bit more sharp edged, perhaps? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not a big believer in warts and all books. Anyway, I think you know that's one of the reasons why I haven't written a book. Is I'm not prepared to. You know, my life in football, I can tell different stories and that that are equally as interesting as sitting there and starting to slag off people in my past and then expose some of the um, some of the things that went on or went went on with me that that I've got no interest in sharing with other people. So I, I think I, w- I wouldn't like him to to have come out and and started to um, jeopardise some of his, his relationships or whatever by doing a warts and all book. But I think from a, a what makes a good book, and in my humble opinion, is what makes a good book and a, and, a, and a not so good book. And I'm not making judgment yet, although I'm leaning towards, I'd like to see a little bit more of him in it as opposed to... Um, you know, him skirting round and you know showing us stats or whatever. Um, I think the, a good book is is telling something, telling somebody something they don't know, and it's the same with doing what what I do on TV is tell you know if I can see something analytically in a game that I'm watching, or I can say something on screen to people at home that they have no clue of knowing unless I tell them. It doesn't make it right or wrong. It just means it's a bit of information you couldn't possibly know, i.e. some of the things that go on in a dressing room or some insight that you've picked up through the years that they couldn't possibly tell. Uh, no, I think that's that's good information. And I think you could write a book like that. There's so much stuff with Arsen because he's such a complex character. There's so, you know, every single person who say got a 10 minute uh, interview with Arsene would ask him different question you know they would they would ask he's such a fascinating guy and a conversationalist that if he did a book that was a bit thin then I'd be massively disappointed and you know as I said I'm not making judgment now but it would it sounds like it's it's something that um, he's done and maybe with a view to doing another one I don't know um, but it's it probably wouldn't be the book if me and him were Mr. and Mrs. Honest and sat down and went, right, let's do let's do a book, me and you Arsene, and write and 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 he just and it wasn't published and we just write a book based on our relationship and what in football, then that would be worth reading. But you know, I think he's stepped back from that a little bit. I think what you said at the start there, Lee, was really telling and your sentiments to say I wouldn't really want to expose honestly um, details of things that happen with people and relationships and so on. Uh, I think it's really, really obvious that Arsene felt similarly. Um, so I think that has arced uh, and, and played a role in, in the. But then, but Amy, don't you think? Don't you think then? Then if you if if that's not the case, if you're not willing to do the warts and all and tell the story, because the question, the big question is going to be asked, then take control of the situation and write a book 
about a subject that you don't have to do that. And there's, well, there's I, a million yeah. subjects, but I you know, think, I, yeah, I think what makes got, him I think, a winner? How, how, how did I become a winner? Not Alex Ferguson did that, There's a lot that, of that in he? there, and that's what I said. That's the stuff that I, that I think is, um, is really compelling. And even when he does talk about uh, his, his time at Arsenal and some of the particular challenges, I think there are lots of elements where he's explaining and he's trying to, you know, rationalise and sometimes with hindsight and sometimes explaining how things were at the time. It's just not in forensic detail, and the reason it's not in forensic detail is for exactly the reasons you say, which is that I think he's a, a man of integrity and dignity and wouldn't want to be the type of person ever who's sort of washing any dirty linen in public. That is just not his personality, and nor does it need to be. It doesn't mean it's not a, a book where you don't come away and think... I think there's a lot you, a lot you gain about his thoughts, processes, and how he deals with... Uh, with information, how he deals with personalities, how he deals with uh, all the myriad different problems and the solutions that you need to find when you're a manager of a massive football club and you're in a competitive environment every day of your life. So there is a lot in there that that touches on those themes. Um, but it's not necessarily done in such a way that says, here's an example and let me tell you exactly what happened in you know, the Nicholas and Elka transfer or... Which which I think people will, will be disappointed about. I mean, there seems to be a lot of omissions. Um, no mention of Mourinho in this book, Why for example. He? Why he didn't. Well, because we'd like to know about one of the most interesting and, and complex, a word you've both been using quite a lot this morning, complex relationships that he had. It's what, not a relationship he had or wanted. I'm glad he didn't talk, didn't talk about Mourinho. Lee, do you feel the same way about this? No, I, I think we got, we got. I think we, we, it's exactly what I just said before about this. When you're writing a book, I think you've got to be, you've got to pick the subject at the start of it and go, what, what am I writing this book for? It's called What's My Life about? in Red and White, yeah, right? This right. is about so, his time as manager at Arsenal, and one of the things. Arsenal, that, no, it's all not his Arsenal. Clubs it's were red all and white. his clubs well, okay. are red and white. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So he's talking about his, you know, his life at those clubs in red and white. So somewhere along that journey, if you're writing a book about that, what what happened at Arsenal after Monaco, etc., then you surely got a, you surely then have to talk about the subjects that are, that are interesting, stand out about that. Don't call it that that subject and write about your time in red and white if you're not going to talk about your time in red and white. And the and the the interesting thing to a fan or to a reader, is if he's going to talk about Arsenal, then there's, there's, there is a timeline and there's certain incidents and, and, and occasions that absolutely have to talk about. If you skirt around those and don't talk about them, then it then becomes a thin book. I, know, I sound like a book critic, and I'm, I'm not, because... <laughs> It's all right. All I, all I, all I, you know, from his point of view, I would, like, I would much prefer to read a book about what his, what his philosophy is the whole thing, maybe do a diary or a how do how do you manage Arsenal Football Club and how do you how do you become a winner from where he got? And I know Amy said you go through his childhood and then it goes through a, a bit of a timeline getting to where he is now. But if you're not going to put anything in the pages in between, then what's the point? Pick a subject and just extensively write about that subject. Yes, uh, I, I mean, uh, like I say, from from the the little I've read of it, uh, I do wonder. I mean, it's more, it's almost about inference, isn't it? Some of the emissions that he's had, you have to infer what he might think about people from that. And I, mm. but that to me 
feels like a lot of his press conferences in the last 10 years when he didn't say what he actually felt. I mean, Amy, how much is there in the book? And like I say, you're the only one of us who's read the whole thing. How much is there about his leaving and about how he felt? I mean, I know there's stuff at the start, but I mean, we can say that he was he was asked to leave, right? I think that's fair enough. And and for a man, for a proud man like that, and for we know how much love he's got for the club. And um, after that Man City game when there were twenty five thousand turned up and we got spanked, it, it seems that Josh Kroenke said to him, "You're going to have to leave, or we're going to have to sack you." And how much of that is in the book? Well, it's not in forensic detail, but what there is is a lot of his response and emotional reaction to you know, what happened to him. Uh, and it's really obvious. I found it almost like quite sad to read that. Of course, because yeah. You could feel his hurt through the pages. You could feel his hurt through the words. And again, he's not the type of person to turn around and say, "I felt betrayed." That would, somebody else might in a in a similar tell-all type, all type thing, book, yeah. Book, but yeah. that's not his way. <clears throat> but you could sort of sense it. You could sense that he thought, "Look, I've given my life for." every waking hour for 22 years and I've sacrificed you know friendships family time all that kind of stuff that comes with the territory of when you're that kind of um, job with that kind of dedication uh, but I think he was and also because he's always set great store on trying to do things properly and that's really obvious he talks one of the words that set, that comes up again and again and again in the book is rigor he talks about doing things with rigor his sense of uh, of, of, of hard, honest work, which again, probably goes back to the people he looked up to when he was growing up. It's really massively strong in him. It's almost something that relates him more to those great epic uh, Scottish managers of, you know, that came out of Glasgow and the, 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 you know, the, the working class sort of areas that were very deprived in, in, in uh, sort of Jockstein and, and Shankly and uh, Busby and so on. It, it's something that connects, I think, him and his philosophy more to that kind of uh, uh, person, those kind of ideas, than some of the more modern managers that we get today, even though he's not not long since retired, which again gives you that sense of where he stands in, in history, really. Um, because of his sense of doing things properly, I think he felt that maybe he was treated a little bit improperly in the end. And he doesn't say it outright, but you can sense, you can infer it. Lee, from a, mm. from an ex-player's point of view, and and as you said at the start of this podcast, you were quite upset when he let you go, but it was a sort of pragmatic <laughs> decision. Um, yeah. I mean, do you think the club made the right decision, and and do you think he doesn't really have a right to to feel aggrieved by what happened? That's no, a very I leading think, question, by the way. I yeah, understand. no, I think I think if you, you know, in, in all honesty, if you say if he came round for a cup of tea, um, he doesn't know where I live. I've moved. I hope he doesn't go to the old house. Okay. Um, if he came round, <laughs> you're taking this very round, literally, but okay, <laughs> let's imagine that he did. If he came round for a cup of tea and we, and we sat down about his time at Arsenal, and, and I, you know, I would ask the question: Do you think, you know, do you think you maybe stayed too long? Um, it's been inferred by lots of ex-players and pundits alike, and have all got opinion because that's what we pay to do um I, I, in all honesty i think he would say the same thing i think he would say yeah in hindsight yeah but and he's such an intelligent guy but he's so emotionally attached to the club and and the the 
the uh, the thought process that he can change something into a better thing because he's done it most of his footballing career. That staying another year, I can sort it out. I can sort it out. You know that sort of reluctance to give up in that respect was to his detriment in the end. And I think it's to say it's probably something that ties in um, ties in with his winning mentality that he just didn't want to go to that place and and he thought one more year would do it. But I, I I thought he stayed too long, and I, and I think he would say the same. And with that becomes the sadness. I, d- I don't know if his upset is that he didn't get the extra year. I think it's that it came out mid-season. No, I don't. I, I didn't say that, Amy. I don't think he got an extra year. I don't. I think he in his mind he always thought he could change it around, and that's why he probably stayed too long. That was my point. Sorry. Um, did he talk about Ivan Gazidis, by the way, at all, Amy, in the book? And did he talk about that relationship and how that worked? Because I think that part of the team's problems, maybe in the last couple of years, and we might talk briefly about Mesut Ozil's £8 million loyalty bonus. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just something stuck in my throat and it will be sick. But um, um, these things that are, that are going on now are partly a legacy of that relationship. Yeah. Uh... There's not a great deal about Ivan Gazidis, and if anything, there's um, there are moments where you draw some pretty good conclusions if you want to read between the lines on uh, perhaps what he thought of, uh, of of how that ended up. I don't want to read between the lines. I want to read the lines. That's what I'd like to read. I've been waiting to read the lines for a long time. But okay, I understand. Arthur's challenging you to read between the lines. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't need challenging. Uh... I just, I'm happy as... We've got nothing else to do at the moment. No, fair point, fair point. I've got gigs that aren't occurring that I'm turning up at and we can so talk tell about... Us about yeah, tell us about it last briefly, night. Briefly, I please. went to a gig last night that actually is happening next Tuesday and uh, I felt like an idiot. I've got to so, be honest So quite literally, see you next Tuesday. <laughs> that's really funny Amy Uh, all right fair enough I didn't realize I was gonna get heckled the next morning that didn't even happen by the way uh briefly uh before we move on um he uh, Arsenal's given a couple of lovely twinkly interviews uh on various uh outlets on Mm. Radio 4 and what have you and he was talking about some of the rule changes um that he he's trying to to bring in uh with uh in his new role as uh what technical director at FIFA um Lee one of the things he was talking about was um, you don't have to throw in throw-ins anymore. That's what he'd like, just kick it in. Because he was saying that you're essentially at a disadvantage. Now, you took a lot of throw-ins to the Arsenal. Do you think that's a fair point? It's an interesting one because I, 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 that takes me back to um, one of my um, games with Graham Taylor over in, uh, I think we are in, um, in Poland playing the, the final qualifier and we had to... Uh, get a draw with Poland to qualify and um, Graham Taylor said um, bless his soul he said right if we win the toss we roll the ball back to Andy Gray who's making his debut I think um, the Aston Villa Andy Gray we roll it back to Andy Gray and I want you to kick it straight out of play near the corner flag (laughs) his first touch in English football as an international he told him to kick it out of play right down the corner flag and we all went "Why, why are we doing that he says well he said, what happens then? He said, you immediately, you're 11 v 11 at kickoff. As soon as you kick the ball out of play, it becomes 11 v 10 because they have to take a man off the pitch. This was Graham Taylor back in the early 90s. Wow. And he said, we then start the game with throwing. They're under pressure. They've got 10 men. You're playing against 10 men. They have to throw it in near their, in their last third. We win possession. We're in better position than we were at kickoff. 
And Gary Lineker looked at him and went, are you kidding me? <laughs> he said, hang on a minute, what has the game come to? And, you know, maybe he was way ahead of his time because, you know, that's what happens. You go down to 10 men. Um, that's the, a little story connected to that. What do I think of it? Not a big fan, to be honest with you. What well, you, you want, you, you then become, you then get to kick it in. Essentially, you Is get to stand at the side, the ball goes out, you get it, and you just kick it to a player and you carry I on. I think playing. that's only from your own half. Uh, Is that I right? I was going to say, because it, it all becomes yeah. a, it becomes corners everywhere then, doesn't it? If you do it like that. Yeah, oh, I, I see. Because if you've got to throw in halfway in the, that final third, you just lump it in the box, can't you? Mind you, having said that, you, you're looking in, you, you could, in theory, you know, get Edison as your goalkeeper to take all the throw-ins in your own half and it becomes a corner. <laughs> well, I, yes, that is true. I'm not sure that he considered that, but I suppose, I mean, the other thing he was talking about was was when you get a free kick, just take it, you just kick it to yourself and carry on. His basic ideas, I, I believe, yeah. Amy, were, were trying to quicken the game up to adapt to the fact that there are athletes playing the game now. And I'm not, this is no disparagement to you, Lee, because you were an athlete. behaviour. No, no, but you know what I'm saying, that the game is quicker mm. now. And, and when you, you know, there's so many tactical fouls and, and, uh, and teams try and stop the other team playing. If you can just kick it to, to yourself and carry on, that, that uh, negates that, does it not? Yeah, I mean, I think the things that you suggested are all sort of relatively rational and relatively low key. They're not going to be as decisive a change as, uh, you know, VAR and things like that. But I mean, I'd, I'd rather that they, he spent some time sorting out sort of handball and offside and yeah. things like that to simplify <laughs> those things and maybe speed the game up personally. Um, <laughs> But but I, but I just I don't think that football needs to be scared of, of of innovation and rule change as long as they're well thought out. And I would much rather someone like Arsene was involved in those discussions than perhaps some of the uh, other people who have previously been in these committees. Because at least you know that Arsene should really have a very good handle on anything that he's trying to change and and why and what the pros and cons are. But if you look back to um, the banishment of the tackle from behind, which you know. Famously, Marco van Basten ended his career early, despite you know him being one of the all-time great players, and he was just hacked to bits yes. in uh, in Serie A. And you know that was at the time, you know there was obviously a resistance to it because it was changing something that had been the same way forever, and there were some people who didn't think it was a good idea. And all these years later, you wouldn't turn around and go, um, oh, "I wish we had the tackle from behind back." It's that was a good innovation. Um, well, yeah, pass, that's a matter of opinion. From, <laughs> <laughs> that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> Lee, well, all the time you were talking about the tackle from behind there, Lee was just quietly weeping. And I used to love doing that. Um, I've just taking the dog out twice. I've just been tackling the dog, just practicing. But um, if you, just quickly, if you just go back to the the back pass rules, the best rule change that's ever been made. And when that was made, it was like we as a back four, we were like, well, what we're going to do now? That's horrendous. And certainly <laughs> live, from Liverpool's point of view, they were the best at keeping the ball at the back. And Alan Hansen, how many times he rolled that back to Grobola, it was so frustrating. And when they changed that, it was like the whole football was going to you know, come tumbling down because we couldn't pass it back to the keeper. And it was an absolutely brilliant law change. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. 
dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Then we played a little bit with a handbrake. This is the Handbrake Off Arsenal podcast for The Athletic. Ian Stone here with Lee Dixon and Amy Lawrence. Um, briefly, we'll talk about a couple of pieces that appeared in The Athletic uh, in the last few days. David Ornstein um, did a piece uh, where he mentions, as I said earlier, uh, um, Mesut Ozil getting a, an £8 million loyalty bonus. Um I mean, I personally, as one of the 45,000 or so season ticket holders, are very glad to give my 200 quid <laughs> to um, uh, to Mesut Ozil, because let's be fair, he has been loyal. Um, this is just, uh, Lee, this is just really uh, a relic of of a, of a more desperate time at Arsenal, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, if it's written into a contract, there's no getting out of it. So whether it should have been written in in the first place is, you can talk about that. Oh, even Gazidis. <laughs> well, there's the name. There's the name. We were just mentioning this. I mean, it's it's lax, isn't it? It's lax because this is it's not. We're not. The fans are not going to pay for all of this, but we are going to pay for a bit of it. Well, the club's paying for it. I don't. I don't know how you. I mean, at the moment, no one's bloody playing for anything except possibly some pay-per-view games. It's. Um, I think it's a difficult time to be analysing finances, but I think I think as Lee said, it's in the contract. It was. The price of that contract has felt heavier as the uh, as the time goes by, that and and the relationship worsens. Um, I, it's hard to know where to go really anymore with this. It's just like a waiting game for it to be all over for me now. Mm. Um, you know, it's uh, it, 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 I struggle sometimes with the when we people get too much into the analysing how much something's worth in financial terms in football you know you get loads of money so therefore you you know you, you've got to be able to take abuse you get loads of money so therefore um fans can't relate to you or camera it's all i i get a bit i get a bit mixed up with this because i kind of think if someone's willing to pay you something to do your job that's one thing and then how well you are, are, are as a footballer is sort of something else um well, all those rational, all those rational um, opinions about players' wages and all—they they all went out the window years ago when we could actually, you know, the, to be able to relate to somebody getting a, as Tony Adams says, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work, like his dad always used to say to him. All those little sayings that you, all of that's gone out the window because the, the actual value of a player is so mixed up now, and how much he gets, and there's transfer fees, and how so m- m- money's rocketed to a place that none of us can understand so to actually try and work out as you said Amy what what worth is it's impossible so you just don't when things like that come up you almost get to the point of I don't care don't care anymore I don't care what he's getting I don't care what the club it's just done because it's 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 something that we can't all relate to Lee, while while you you're thinking about this subject, I totally understand the point you're making. But this idea we, we've heard recently about Project Big Picture or bigger piece oh, of pie, God. we haven't got we, time for this. <laughs> Do you have a brief uh, thought as to, to your view about what seems to be making the league more uncompetitive? 
I'm still going through it. There's lots of I think there's lots of pluses for it, and there's a huge amount of minuses for it. So to to come down on either side right now, my initial thought is I'm scared of it, but because obviously I played at the lower leagues and I want you know. But then I think well they're going to get a load more money, so that's a good thing. And every time I read a different thing, I go well it's good then, or is it bad? There's so many there's so many, and I think that's the the Trojan horse analogy that's been bandied around kind of sits with me a little bit. Um, a little bit more comfortably at the moment, but then tomorrow I might change my mind. So it's a real can of worms, it really is. Amy, we're one of the big six or big nine, if you count Everton, Southampton, and West Ham, <laughs> who have been included in this deal for for some reason. Um, I mean, it it benefits us, doesn't it? Or or does the lack of competitive element hurt us as much as the lower league teams? Uh, good question. I. I... I'm just uncomfortable with it. I just think that mm. there's something really simple about sporting endeavour, which is that you win and you do well and you profit and you mess up and it goes backwards. And if you're kind of going to going to mess around too much with that very fundamental idea, that that, that I just don't like it. I, I think that, that I think that there's a, a principle. I like the idea that, particularly in this period of of need where we're all living through very, very strange times. I like the idea that football as a whole kind of come up with something to protect and preserve the, the soul of, of the game in this country. And that includes lots of smaller clubs that don't have access to many resources and maybe don't have that massive fan base or, you know, but are hugely vital to their local communities in the same way that Arsenal is vital to its community here, here in M5. And, yeah, I'm all for uh, getting together and trying to work something out that that helps everyone as much as possible through this period and maybe beyond. But let's not get away. Let's not mess around with the fundamentals of sport and sporting achievement and possibility. You've got to have. You've got to have a possibility. Yeah. In sport. Otherwise, what's the point? Quite. Yeah. Um, now, for a limited time only, we're offering you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. You can read all of our writing on Arsenal and so much more. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod and sign up for just £1 a month. Can we have a song before you go? Lee, you often don't hang around for the song, but uh, you're here at the moment. Do we have a song uh, for yeah, I've um, got perhaps Arsene Wenger? Yeah, Bat Out of Hell. Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> okay i always I, um... say that but it actually is quite apt because he is a bad out of hell he's beyond his time look at him flourishing now as the fifa head of football he does look well doesn't he there's no doubt he looks great doesn't he he does 60 whatever no 71 or something uh amy do you have a song yeah well, like a lot of people live you know seeing arson lately hearing him and uh and reading him um and also, I mean, I know we talked to just briefly a lot about how he wrote the book, but for him to have actually written it himself is quite amazing. I'm not sure how many people would have done that. So I'm going to go for Everything But The Girl, Miss You. Oh. Nice, nice. Oh. Tao, our producer, uh, suggested a Kim Sims uh, tune from the early 90s, Too Blind To See It, <laughs> which I quite like. Um, I was going to have Edith Piaf, uh, Je Ne Regrette Rien. God, I think that might be your first musical selection win 
ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for patronising me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime, mate. <laughs> um, this has been a handbrake off the Arsenal podcast for The Athletic. Thank you to Lee Dixon and Amy Lawrence. And thank you to Teo, our producer. I'm Ian Stone. Stay safe. Thank you.